One thing that I, I hate is rushing. And I, I, I hate rushing because I get an anxiety. I get so much an anxiety that like, I, I, I freak out. Like, I, I feel like I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown. One profession I could never do is to be a paramedic or an ambulance driver. That would, that, that would just like be out of control for me. Because the ambulance, they're always rushing to the scene, yeah? Think about it. They're always rushing because someone's life is on the line, right? It's obvious that when there's an ambulance behind you and they're rushing, you get out of their way because their priority is to save someone's life. So in the days of Jesus, obviously there was no ambulance. There was no paramedic that would rush over to the scene where cars would get out of the way, okay? But back then, if there was someone being sick or someone that was sick, they knew or some people knew who to call. And so there's this guy named Jarius and his daughter of 12 years old was dying, okay? She was sick. The Bible says she was very sick. He ran over to Jesus because at that time, they known Jesus to be someone that has miraculous powers to heal the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralytic. He had miraculous powers. So Jairus ran over to Jesus with an emergency and said, I need you to go and heal my daughter. And Jairus was a religious leader. And so in everyone's kind of, everyone's mind, they're thinking, okay, that would be priority number one because he's a religious leader. Jairus, his daughter is dying. That's Jesus's priority right now. Let's go and save that daughter. So it says they were, they were rushing over to Jairus' dying daughter of 12 years old. And on the way rushing over to the dying girl, there was this scene that, that interrupts the rushing crowd. And so give a little backstory. There's this lady. And it's so, it's so bizarre that this little dying girl was 12 years old. And that crowd that was rushing over to that girl was interrupted by someone who was suffering for 12 years. Pretty bizarre. Pretty ironic. And that, that lady was suffering for 12 years. She was bleeding, like the menstrual cycle, bleeding for 12 years straight. She never got better. In fact, she paid doctors and did everything she could and she only got worse for 12 years. That, that, that's a pretty vile picture in your mind. A lady who has her period that is constantly bleeding for 12 years. That's a pretty gnarly image immediately that would kind of just turn us off and look the other way but back then it was culturally acceptable to cast her out okay it was culturally acceptable to push her away and call her filthy call her unclean because it says in leviticus that those types of people are unclean it was okay to isolate yourself from that lady or, or push her away and say things to her you're filthy, you're unclean, get out of here. It was okay, it was acceptable. In fact, some religious people took it on that it was their job to make sure these people wouldn't come in the temple because they carried such filth. So religious leaders like Jarius, whose daughter is dying, was the one for 12 years not allowing this lady to come in the temple. She would come up probably, trying to get in the temple, and he's going, no, you're filthy, you're unclean, get out of here. In Leviticus, it says you're unclean. Get out of here. And so Jairus' daughter, daughter is over here, she's dying. And he's going, Jesus, come on, we gotta go save my daughter, we gotta go save my daughter. So they're rushing over to the main priority, which is to save that dying girl's life. And that lady who was bleeding for 12 years thought, I am so desperate. I am so desperate, I've done everything I can. 
If I just touch the cloak of Jesus, I will be healed. She had that kind of faith. So she, I don't know, I, I just don't know what, what really went on that day because people have known of this lady. It's, it's the first time Jesus have came through that town. And so, of course, they're probably putting on their best look. They're making the town look nice and shiny for this rabbi, this Jesus who has miraculous powers to come into town. The last thing they want Jesus to see is that, that bloody lady, that bloody, filthy, unclean lady. Because that's disgusting. That's filthy. So if anyone saw that lady that day, they probably would have pushed her away. Some people thought that the, the, the ground that this lady walked on was unclean. So those people didn't want anything to do with this lady because everything she touched, everywhere she walked was unclean. So I wonder how she kind of creeped her way up to Jesus in that crowd. But she did it somehow. She went ahead of the crowd and she touched Jesus real quick. She touched his cloak real quick. And this is what fascinates me. All of a sudden, that rushing crowd of excitement, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. Oh my gosh, she's better go and see that dying girl. We're gonna go see a miracle today. Jesus is in our town, finally. This crowd of excitement and pressure to go save that dying girl, that crowd stops all of a sudden because Jesus stops in his tracks. He turns around and he says, who touched me? Which is a pretty bizarre thing to say because in the scriptures it says that Jesus was almost crushed because there were so many people that day. The verbiage that was used in the Bible was Jesus was almost crushed, which meant a lot of people was touching him. A lot of people were touching you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? Almost like, what a stupid thing to ask Jesus. A lot of people is touching you. He looked back and he said, who touched me? And at that moment, that lady was, you know that feeling when, when you do something and you're just like, oh no, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? Why did I, why did I just post that? Why did I just send that to my ex-girlfriend? Why did I do this? In that moment, I bet you that lady thought, what the heck did I just do? The crowd stops. Because Jesus' face is now concerned about who touched him. There was, there was an interruption that day. That lady's going, oh no, I'm done for. This town hates me. This town has called me filthy. This town has tried to cast me out and throw me out of the town. Did everything in their power to keep me out. Jairus, whose daughter is dying, has kept me out of the temple. Now I've touched Jesus. And it says, everyone that I touch becomes unclean. Therefore, Jesus is unclean. And now he can no longer go and see the dead girl. Now he has to go to the temple and get cleansed. And she's going, holy crap, I'm screwed. This is my death sentence. So what she does is, she throws herself at Jesus' feet. And she's going, I, I, I'm, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know what, what got into me. I just thought, if I just touched your cloak, I would have gotten healed. She's on her knees, she's probably crying, begging for mercy. And in that moment, Jesus is there looking at this lady, letting, letting her explain her situation and letting the crowd see what this, who this lady is. Immediately they're going, that filthy lady, what, what is she doing here? Jairus, the father of the dying 12 year old is probably going, Jesus, we don't have time for this filth. My daughter is dying. Everyone in that crowd is probably getting this rage. Oh my God, Jesus just came to our town for the very first time and this filthy lady touched him. And they're going, their fists are probably clenching and they're probably, read, they're probably ready to probably yell at the lady, expecting Jesus to say something about this filthy lady, this unclean, filthy, unworthy lady that touched him. So they're waiting for Jesus to say something, to yell at this lady. And this is the first thing that Jesus says. The first thing that Jesus says 
his daughter. The very first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is not, get out of my sight, you unclean lady. You don't belong here. You don't belong in my sight. You can't touch me. He doesn't say that. The first thing that Jesus says is, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Everyone that day, their priority was on Jairus' dead daughter. All of a sudden, they're looking at Jesus' daughter. And they're going, what? What in the world? What just happened here? Jesus just called this filthy, unclean woman daughter? What is going on? Doesn't make any sense. And I think that day, Jesus made a statement that said, no matter who you think you are or who you're raised to think that you are, people have been telling you for 12 years, you're filthy, you're unclean, you're worthless. But I'm going to stop and turn around and say, you're my daughter. In the middle of the priority to save a dying girl, I have time for you. And then it got me thinking, that was the first time that Jesus has ever used the word daughter. The first time Jesus has ever called someone daughter was that moment. And it got me thinking, okay, what was the first time he ever used the word son? So I looked in the scriptures and I was looking at, at you know, the stories and stuff. The very first time Jesus used the word son was the paralytic man. When they, when they, you know, there's that one story where they're in the house and, and Jesus was, the house was packed. There's no way to come in through the doors. It would be like this whole place is packed with like 5,000 people. Okay, people out by the windows are like with ladders looking in. There's no way to come in. And all of a sudden, there's this banging on the roof. And instead of Jesus going, yo, like get rid of those peasants up there. He allows it to happen. He knows what's going to happen. They lower a paralytic man. Who again, back in those days, if you're paralyzed, that means you have done that to yourself. You're a sinful person. You have done that to yourself. That's what they believed back then. And so when the paralytic man came down and they, and they, and they, they brought him down because they knew Jesus had that healing power. The first words from Jesus' mouth wasn't get out of here. It wasn't get out of here. You've done this to yourself, you filthy paralytic man. Like what a lot of other rabbis would have done at that moment. Instead, the very first words that Jesus said was, son, your faith has made you well. The very first word Jesus said to that lady, that filthy lady, was daughter. The very first word that that man that came down the roof was son. And then it got me thinking, okay, the the prodigal son. A son who said, I hate you, father. Give Give me the money and let me go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I want to live my life. Give me my inheritance, which meant, Father, I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance. The father divided his inheritance, gave the younger son his money. The son goes out, buys drugs, buys prostitutes, does whatever he wants in a foreign land. Everything he could, everything he could think of, sinning, the worst kind, he has done. He runs out of money, and then he wants to come home. And Jesus is telling this parable in front of a lot of people that were there that day. And Jesus said, okay, now the son wants to come home back to the father. And in that moment, I bet you all those people there were thinking, whoa, that father is really going to give it to him. In fact, the father had the authority to kill the son. Okay? The father could have killed the son because that would have given back his dignity. Okay? So people that day were probably thinking, if my son, if that was my son, he came back home, I would kill him. Or I would beat him at least. Or, or yell at him. Or throw stones at him. Or something. And so as the son is walking home, he is scared because he knows what to expect. He expects, he expects his father to lash out on him. So he's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, father, I'm so sorry. He's, he's thinking about his uh, apology. 
I'm sorry, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. And I know I'm not worthy to be called your son, but please let me just come in your house and work. After rehearsing, rehearsing, he traveled so far, and every step he took, he was rehearsing his apology. He's walking home, and he's going, okay, my apology is this. Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but please let me just work in your household. I just want to be near you. He finally sees the father. He finally sees the father. The father runs up to him. And he starts his apology. And he says it real quick before the father can beat him or kill him to death. Kill him to death. What? Beat him to death. <laughs> then the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, the father cuts him off right there. Do you notice? When people interrupt you when you're talking, it means whatever you're saying is not as important as what I'm about to say. When, pe when you're talking and someone interrupts you, or when you interrupt someone, it's like you're saying, what you're saying is so stupid, like I'm just gonna butt in, sorry. That moment when the father interrupted the son, it was as if he was saying, son, whatever you're saying or about to say has no significance. The son said, Father, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off right there. The father turns to his servant and says, quick, like he's in a rush. The, the son's not going anywhere. So why quick? Why is he rushing? Why is the father rushing? But the father cuts off the son, turns to the servant and says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, Sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. The one who was lost is now found, and they began to celebrate. The father cuts off the son, right when the son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He cuts him off and says, my son is home. The father said, quick, because he was in a rush to restore the son back to his true identity. The father was in a rush to immediately bring the son back to his true identity. It gives you a glimpse of the father's priority, which is the restoration of true identity as children. He's big on identity. And many times we were defined by what we do. We define ourselves by how many followers we have on Instagram. We're defined on what we wear. We're defined on the accomplishments we do. We're defined on, on who raises us, who our dad is, who our mom is. We're defined by our failures. We're defined what happened to you when you were young. You're defined by who you're dating, who you're with, who you're talking to, who you're hanging out with. We spend so much time trying to be defined by those things. And Jesus will stop, turn around, and tell you exactly what you are in his eyes. In the moment of your desperation, he will stop and he'll turn around because that's his priority. His priority is you and restoring you back to your true identity of who you truly are in the Father's eyes. Who cares how many followers you have? Who cares what your friends think of you? That moment when that lady was on the floor begging for Jesus for mercy, in everyone's eyes she was called unclean, dirty, filthy, bloody. In that moment Jesus goes, you're my daughter. Everything else doesn't matter. For what you're going through for the last 12 years, and what they call you, and what you've came to believe, doesn't matter. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. Get up and walk. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Son, your faith has made you well. Quick, stop. 
Stop trying to tell me what you're worth. We're going to have a celebration for you to restore you back to your identity, your true identity as sons and daughters. You are not filth. You are not the filth that people have come to believe who you are. You are not worthless like the paralytic man. You are not a sinful person that has wished your father dead and has squandered your wealth with drugs and prostitutes. You're not that. You're defined by what the father says who you are. 1 John 3, 1 says this, How great the, the love the Father lavishes on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are! Exclamation mark. We are children of God. And when you hear those voices, I'm 26, and I've heard so many things about me. You're an idiot, you're a moron, you're filthy, you're dirty. You're a drug addict, you're an alcoholic, you're a player, um, what else? You're prideful. I can go on and on and on and on and on about what people have called me. And I'm sure you have a list of things who people have called you. But the biggest difference is what voice are you actually listening to? What voices are you actually listening to? Because who you listen to will change who you are. So if you have that list of negativity, of filth, of dirty, of sinful, and you're carrying that list around and you're looking at that list every day, oh, I've done this, I've done that. You're gonna walk around looking at that list. Might as well tape that to your forehead and walk around. But if you're looking at who God defines you as a son or daughter, that changes everything. That changes everything. To be called a son and daughter of the Most High. That is who we are, we are children. So the next time you get one of those voices in your head, laugh at it. Laugh at that voice. Toss it aside and listen to the words of the Father, the one who created your soul and who is obsessed over you. You're his priority because he wants you to come home. Not like go to heaven when you die, but he wants you to be in his family now. That's what you're created to do, to be. Father, just thank you, Lord, that, that, that you have time for us. That we sometimes feel like we're worthless or we're meaningless, we're filthy. We've messed up so many times that you have no time for us. That you have better things on your plate, but you would stop for us. You'll stop and turn around and call us sons, call us daughters. And we're never too filthy. We're never too far off from your grace, from your love. Lord, I pray that, that we grab hold onto this oneness with you. This truth of who we are in your eyes. That we're children. So Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that, that, that has been dealing with these lies or these truths even that has been pulling them down, Lord, I pray that they would come closer to you, ask for forgiveness, forgive themselves, forgive others, and have a hunger to know more of what it means to be a child, to know more of what it means to be truly, truly sons and truly daughters of the Most High. Father, we love you and thank you for allowing us to walk in freedom that we're not tied down to what people think we are or, by what, how, or how people define us or how we define ourselves, but we can look at what the creator of heaven defines us by, which is children, children of God.